Warning, this podcast contains foul language, sexual situations, and discussions of drugs and drinking. Yeah. Welcome Welcome to to Fuck Shakespeare. All the naughty bits exposed. Our goal is to open your eyes to all the inside info that makes reading Shakespeare way more fun. Any episode might contain dick jokes or essay ideas or anything in between. So, So, listen listen up. up. Hey, it's Diana, and I am solo for this episode because we ran into a bit of, you know, scheduling craziness because I am leaving for England for a month, and I will be off at a writing residency in Bristol, and so Erin and I will do a couple of remote episodes where I'm on one continent and she's on another. We've done it before and you guys have lived through it with us before. So we pray your patience, our good friends. But this one is the penultimate episode of Lear. And then we actually recorded the final episode together. So you will get that next week. But this one, I'm just going to fire at you myself and do it all the crazy voices. Yes, why not? It is the last couple of scenes before that big whacker of a scene where people die and many things happen to wind up this story. And another heads up, let's see, a couple other business things. We are going to be doing Measure for Measure after King Lear, so stay tuned for that nastiness. So fun. We were kind of thinking, well, we need another comedy. And then thinking, well, Measure for Measure has quite a lot of comedy in it, even though it's troublesome and problematic. But it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you've never read it, stick through it with us because it's a fascinating, amazing play with some incredible speeches and crazy characters. And we think you'll really enjoy it a lot. We loved it. We've done it before. It's great. Here we go. King Lear, starting with Act 4, Scene 7. So we finally get to see Cordelia and Lear reunited. And I think Harold Bloom has a lot to say about that one. But since Aaron's not here, we won't have Harold Bloom's take on that. Then we are going to get a little deeper into these jealous sisters. (laughs) Each one worried about whether Edmund has fucked the other one. And their lust is getting in the way of any other decisions they might possibly make. Or anything else that they even care about. They don't care about shit after this. We're going to see KG Albany, and Albany is getting a little more like, hmm, how much does he know, and what is he holding back on, and is he just biding his time for the right moment to strike? I don't know, it seems quite complex for him. He's not that kind of character, but we shall see. And we get to see how Edmund is reacting to those two sisters. He's a bit greedy. He kind of wants them both. He wants his side piece and his side piece. And then he's trying to figure out, I think, how does he get to become king, maybe? (laughs) Because why stop at Earl of Gloucester? What the fuck? Might as well go all the way now that I've come this far, right? And we'll end with this weird last tiny scene with Edgar and Gloucester. After everything they go through, 
we kind of end with this like, holy shit, we got to get out of here <laughs> kind of scene. And we don't get to see the ending of their journey and whether they meet up with friends or what happens with the two of them together. This will be the end of our seeing Gloucester today. So that's been an interesting journey as well. All right, you ready? Here we go. Act four, scene seven, a tent in the French camp. Now, some people don't begin this scene with Lear actually on stage. And there's a stage direction later for Lear is wheeled in on a chair. But I, yeah, I, I always started it with Lear on a bed asleep. That's a lot easier than trying to figure out where the fuck do we get a period wheelchair? Oh, my God. Um, so just Lear on a bed asleep, attended by the gentleman, and Cordelia and Kent and the doctor are talking to each other. Cordelia. Oh, thou good Kent, how shall I live and work to match thy goodness? My life will be too short, and every measure fail me. Kent. To be acknowledged, madam, is or paid. All my reports go with the modest truth. No more nor clipped, but so. So go with everything is equal to modesty, and not more or less. Clipped is less. Cordia. Be better suited. These weeds are memories of those worser hours. I prithee put them off. She wants him to change back into his clothes of nobility. Weeds are clothes. Kent. Pardon, dear madam. Yet to be known shortens my maid intent. My boon, I make it that you know me not, till time and I think meet. My boon, my reward. So he doesn't want to be revealed yet. He has a certain timing that he thinks is going to be right for that reveal. Then be it so, my good lord. And she turns and asks the gentleman, How does the king? Madam, sleeps still. Oh, you kind gods, cure this great breach in his abused nature. The untuned and jarring senses, oh, wind up of this child-changed father. Gentlemen, so please, your majesty, that we may wake the king. He hath slept long. Okay, so she's praying for him to be cured, and, and she's hoping that this is the moment when he'll wake up and be all right. The untuned and jarring senses, discordant. So we have this sort of musical reference. His senses are not in harmony. And she wants them to be harmonized and drawn together. And I love this hyphenated word, child changed. The source of his change was his children. Gentlemen, so please your majesty that we may wake the king. He hath slept long. Be governed by your knowledge and proceed in the sway of your own will. Is he arrayed? And means, is he dressed? I don't want to see him if he's naked. That's not cool. I, madam, in the heaviness of sleep, we put fresh garments on him. So in some editions, this is where he'd be wheeled in. And the gentleman continues, Be by, good madam, when we do wake him. I doubt of his temperance. Very well. And the doctor, Please you draw near. Louder the music there. There must be some kind of musical element to the cure which is cool because she just made that musical reference about his senses being brought into harmony. And then here is a prayer beside his bedside or, you know, leaning over him. Here's Cordelia. 
O my dear father, restoration hang thy medicine on my lips, and let this kiss repair those violent harms that my two sisters have in thy reverence made. Kent, kind and dear princess, had you not been their father, these white flakes did challenge pity of them. Was this a face to be opposed against the jarring winds, to stand against the deep, dread-bolted thunder? In the most terrible and nimble stroke of quick cross lightning to watch poor Perdu with this thin helm? Mine enemy's dog, though he had bit me, should have stood that night against my fire. And wast thou fain, poor father, to hovel thee with swine and rogues forlorn, in short and musty straw? Alack, alack! Tis wonder that thy life and wits at once had not concluded all. <gasps> he wakes! Speak to him! So, even if you had not been their father, these white flakes, these white hairs, should have demanded their pity. Challenged is demand. And then she has that word jarring again. So disharmony, right? Why was this face supposed to be the one that stood against the thunder and the lightning? So we've got dread-bolted, wonderful hyphenated word again, accompanied by the dreaded thunderbolt, right? We have cross-lightning, which is zigzag, and then poor perdu. It's funny, it's a sentinel, it's a word for a sentinel, someone who's standing watch, but it's also French for lost. He was lost in the storm. And his thin helm is his light covering of hair. The word fain means glad. So she's saying, were you meant to be glad to have this frickin' hovel to shelter yourself in with these vagabonds and, and pigs and such? And then he's waking up. Okay, gentlemen. Madam, do you, tis fittest. How does my royal lord? How fares your majesty? Lear, you do me wrong to take me out of the grave. Thou art a soul in bliss, but I am bound upon a wheel of fire that mine own tears do scald like molten lead. Sir, do you know me? You are a spirit, I know. Where did you die? Still, still, far wide. Gentlemen, he's scarce awake. Let him alone a while. You have this great wheel of fire image, which is, again, almost like the wheel of fortune, but a little bit different, because this is one of the punishments that a soul could suffer both in hell and purgatory. So he's talking about suffering in purgatory. He thinks that he has passed beyond the veil and that he's seeing the spirits, and maybe he recognizes this is the spirit of his daughter, the daughter that he loved, right? And she's trying to get him to recognize his surroundings, but he's also waking up someplace that he's not familiar with. So there's probably a lot that's going on for him there. And she says, still far wide, you're still astray, your mind is not focusing. And then Lear, where have I been? Where am I? Fair daylight? I am mightily abused. I should e'en die with pity to see another thus. I know not what to say. I will not swear these are my hands. Let's see. I feel this pinprick. Would I were assured of my condition. So I'm mightily abused. I'm still confused, right? And I would be so sorry to see someone else who was in this condition. So he sounds lucid. He pricks his hand. He feels it. 
And then Cordelia, the stage direction said she's kneeling beside him. That's a choice for actor, director. Oh, look upon me, sir, and hold your hand in benediction o'er me. You must not kneel. So there's a stage direction for Lear. He's definitely kneeling. Okay, embedded stage direction. And then they share this line, and he comes in right on her line. Pray, do not mock me. I am very foolish, fond old man, fourscore and upward, not an hour more nor less. And to deal plainly, I fear I am not my perfect mind. Methinks I should know you and know this man. Yet I am doubtful, for I am mainly ignorant what place this is, and all the skill I have remembers not these garments, nor I know not where I did lodge last night. Do not laugh at me. For as I am a man, I think this lady to be my child Cordelia. And so I am. I am. All right, we have some great stuff there. So pray do not mock me. I am very foolish, fond old man. He goes into verse at first. He tells you exactly who he is and how old he is. So he's lucid. And then, and to deal plainly, I fear I am not, is he goes into prose for a short while there. So he's flip-flopping back and forth with his rhythm. Great way to show that he's not quite all together. But then he says, yet I am doubtful for I am mainly ignorant. I think that's back to verse, but it's a plus three line. So it's three extra beats because he's very agitated suddenly. He's like, I, I, I think I know you. But he sees her and knows it's Cordelia, and he just can't believe it. And he also sees Kent and knows him and just can't believe it. So he, there's very much reason for him to be agitated. He doesn't remember his clothes. He doesn't remember where he slept last night. And he ends his lines with her name, and she's so glad. And then, embedded stage direction, she's crying. Lear, be your tears wet? Yes, Faith, I pray weep not. If you have poison for me, I will drink it. I know you do not love me, for your sisters have, as I do remember, done me wrong. You have some cause. They do not. No cause. No cause. So we have the word cause three times. It's to highlight that idea that I have no reason to hate you. It's fine. It's all fine. And Lear. Am I in France, Kent? In your own kingdom, sir. Lear, do not abuse me. So abuse meaning deceive there. Don't lie to me. I don't have a kingdom. I'm not in my kingdom. And then the gentleman. Be comforted, good madam. The great rage you see is killed in him. And yet it is danger to make him even or the time he has lost. Desire him to go in. Trouble him no more till further settling. So the rage, the madness is done. But to make him even or, that means like to go over in his mind the time he's spent in the madness. Don't make him relive it. Don't make him go over that. Just let's bring him in and we'll make him comfortable. Will please your highness walk, Lear. You must bear with me. Pray you now, forget and forgive. I am old and foolish. And that could be the ending. In the quarto, 
there is another piece here, but it's, it didn't make it to the folio. So you get to choose, you know, which ending do you like best? Do you like Lear ending with the idea, I'm old and foolish, and he's accepting who he is? He's not king. He's just a doddering old man. Yeah? But in the quarto, we have the gentleman asking about Cornwall and Kent also. So here we go. Gentlemen. Holds it true, sir, that the Duke of Cornwall was so slain? Most certain, sir. Who is conductor of his people? As tis said, the bastard son of Gloucester. They say Edgar, his banished son, is with the Earl of Kent in Germany. Report is changeable. Tis time to look about. The powers of the kingdom approach apace. The arbitrament is like to be bloody. Fare you well, sir. Kent gets a little cagey. I don't know about Germany. I don't think he's in Germany. But, um, you know, Edgar and Kent being together, it's an interesting rumor that has come around. And then arbitrament is the fight. The gentleman is imagining it's going to be really bad. And then Kent has a last rhyming couplet to end the piece. My point and period will be thoroughly wrought, or well or ill, as this day's battles fought. Okay, we have great thoroughly, which is sometimes read as thoroughly, but I like thoroughly. He's going to take it on through his notion of how this should all go, my point and period, the, when I decide how this should end, my disguise is going to go through to the end and I'm going to craft it myself. And it will be for the good or for the bad, depending on the outcome of the battle. All right, and moving on to Act 5, Scene 1, the British camp near dun, 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 Dover. Here come Edmund and Regan and soldiers. Edmund. Know of the Duke if his last purpose hold, or whether since he is advised by aught to change the course, he's full of alteration and self-reproving, bring his constant pleasure. So he's giving an order to one of his officers to go and ask Albany if his last plan is still in place, or if since they last spoke, he changed his mind because advised by aught, he's advised by someone else to change direction. And he's talking about him as being very inconstant, flip-flopping, and self-reproving is doubtful of himself, you know? He doesn't know what's the right course to do. And bring his constant pleasure, bring, him, bring me his decision. And then Regan. Our sister's man is certainly miscarried. She's talking about Oswald. Like, where did he go with all those letters? He hasn't made it. Interesting word, miscarried. Yeah? Edmund. Tis to be doubted, madam. Doubted meaning feared. Yep, we should definitely imagine that he's not doing well. Now, sweet lord, you know the goodness I intend upon you. Tell me but truly, but then speak the truth. Do you not love my sister? In honored love. But have you never found my brother's way to the forfended place? <laughs> my brother's way is Albany's path. Have you never walked down Albany's path to the forbidden zone, meaning her cunt? <laughs> Did you ever go that way? And Edmund is like, uh... That thought abuses you. So, like, that is not a worthy thought, not even of you. I am doubtful that you have been conjunct and bosomed with her as far as we call hers. Great word, bosomed. You know, your chests have been lying together, one on top of the other. 
And we have conjunct, joined. Doubtful is fearful. So I'm afraid that you have been fucking and that you've taken her and everything that is hers, as far as we call hers, everything that is hers. Edmund. No, by mine honor, madam. And he has said this twice now, mine honor. And he doesn't have any honor, so he can swear by it. It's easy. <laughs> I never shall endure her. Dear my lord, be not familiar with her. Fear not. She and the duke, her husband. So he's announcing them. Here they come. There's some kind of drum that is special to announce Albany and Goneril. There were always like either drum or trumpet sounds that were particular to a certain person, especially on a battlefield, so that you could know when Albany was entering the fight or when Edmund was entering the fight. There was a certain call. So, Goneril. And this says it's an aside. You can decide whether that would work or not. I had rather lose the battle than that sister should loosen him and me. Albany. Our very loving sister, well be met. Sir, this I heard. The king is come to his daughter, with others whom the rigor of our state forced to cry out. Where I could not be honest, I never yet was valiant. For this business, it touches us as France invades our land, not bolds the king, with others whom I fear most just and heavy causes make oppose. Oh my goodness, he just talks so by the book and very politically correct and all of that. Sister, sister-in-law, welcome Regan, right? And uh, the king and Cordelia are together at, with other people whom the rigors of our state is the strictness of our government, forced to cry out, forced to protest. So their numbers are padded with people that we have driven away because of the ills that we have done, the bad things, namely putting out Gloucester's eyes, right? And it's a problem because France is on our territory, right? Bad. Edmund. Sir, you speak nobly. Regan. Why is this reasoned? So she's like, why are we bothering with this? Details. Goneril. Combine against the enemy. For these domestic and particular broils are not the question here. So she's like, stop with this petty domestic shit. We need to get on with this battle. Albany. Then let's determine with the ensign of the war on our proceeding. So let's go ask the captains what's the best thing to do. So he still hasn't decided upon his course of proceeding. Edmund. I shall attend you presently at your tent. And Edmund leaves. Regan. Sister, you'll go with us? Goneril. No. Tis most convenient. Pray go with us. And again, this is said to be an aside, but Goneril could say this out loud. Why not? Oh, ho, I know the riddle. I will go. Why not? She could be mocking her sister. And then enter Edgar, disguised, and he only wants to speak to Albany, just as Albany's leaving. Edgar. If e'er your grace had speech with man so poor, hear me one word. So he's dressed as a peasant, and he's asking for Albany's attention, which would not be okay in any circumstances, but Albany decides to hear him. I'll overtake you, he says to the people leaving. Don't worry, I'll catch up, right? Speak. Edgar. Before you fight the battle, ope this letter. 
If you have victory, let the trumpet sound for him that brought it. Wretched though I seem, I can produce a champion that will prove what is avouched there. If you miscarry, your business of the world hath so an end, and machination ceases. Fortune loves you. Before you go into battle, take a look at this letter. If you're victorious, let the trumpet play, and there will be a champion come forward to prove what's in that letter. If you miscarry, there's that word again, incredible word. That means if you lose the battle, eh, it doesn't matter because your business of the world, is you're, you're going to be dead. And machinations are plots and plots will cease. There will be no more plots because the plots are upon his life, right? And Albany wants to, a little more info. Stay till I've read the letter, Edgar. I was forbid it. When time shall serve, let but the herald cry and I'll appear again. Albany, why, fare thee well, I will o'erlook thy paper. And he starts to open the letter, but then Edmund comes in. The enemies in view, draw up your powers. Here is the guess of their true strength and forces, by diligent discovery, but your haste is now urged on you. Albany, we will greet the time. That means we will rise to the occasion. I will go for it. Here is the guess. That means here is the estimate of the strength and force of the of the enemy. And he's and Edmund is trying to hurry him on because he's like, Jesus Christ, you've taken so long to figure out what you want to do about this battle. Now is the time. <laughs> All right. And then Edmund is left alone on stage and he's going to tell you what's happening with him. It's great. Turns right to the audience. To both these sisters have I sworn my love. Each jealous of the other as the stung are of the adder. Which of them shall I take? Both? One? Or neither? Neither can be enjoyed if both remain alive. To take the widow exasperates, makes mad her sister Goneril, and hardly shall I carry out my side, her husband being alive. Now then, we'll use his countenance for the battle, which being done, let her who would be rid of him devise his speedy taking off. As for the mercy which he intends to Lear and to Cordelia, the battle being done and they within our power shall never see his pardon, for my state stands on me to defend, not to debate. Love it. Last rhyming couplet about I am not going to quibble with anybody about what I will be when I am victorious in this battle. I'm going to be fucking top man there. So he's wondering about these sisters, right? Each one is jealous of the other. Each one's suspicious of the other in the same way that a person who's been stung is always worried about adders, right? And then these questions are real. He wants to know what the audience thinks. Which one? Goneril? Regan? What do you think? Let's take a vote. <laughs> that would be really fun. Hands up for Goneril. Hands up for Regan. <laughs> Uh, and then he says, I can't really have Goneril until her husband is dead, right? And so he decides, well, we'll use his countenance, his authority in the battle. But once that battle is done, if he's still standing, let Goneril figure out how to kill him. His speedy taking off, his murder. Let her figure out how to murder him. And then he talks about Lear and Cordelia. Obviously, Albany has already shared the idea that if they're captured... He intends to pardon them. And Edmund is like, no, fuck that. And that's not happening. 
All right, and last little scene, Act 5, Scene 2. Alarm within. That means there's a drum beat that says there's a there's something going on on the battlefield. Bum, 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 right? And here come Lear and Cordelia and the soldiers. They pass over the stage. So there's an army marching through. Bum, 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 bum. And then there's Edgar in disguise still and Gloucester. And he's brought him here to the battlefield. I guess his intention was to reunite them all together. All right. And we saw that he just saw Albany. So he's here at the field, at the tents. And because he's a peasant, he can kind of sneak around. Nobody gives a shit about some dude dressed in rags. They're like, here, empty this chamber pot. (laughs) Okay, Edgar. Here, father, take the shadow of this tree for your good host. Pray that the right may thrive. If ever I return to you again, I'll bring you comfort. Gloucester. Grace, go with you, sir. So he calls him sir. He still doesn't know who he is. That's clear. But Edgar has used the word father again. We talked about that in the other scene where that could mean old man, but he's gotten comfortable with calling him father. So he leaves him under a tree and he says, let's hope that the right army prevails. And he leaves. And then there's alarm and retreat within. That means they're sounding a retreat. The, some forces have to go back, and Edgar comes running back in. Away, old man! Give me thy hand, away! King Lear hath lost! He and his daughter's tain! Give me thy hand, come on! And Gloucester, no further, sir. A man may rot, even here. Edgar, what? In ill thoughts again? Men must endure their going hence, even as they're coming hither. Ripeness is all. Come on, Gloucester. And that's true, too. (laughs) That's such a weird last line. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) But the fact that he, who was supposed to be some kind of peasant, mentions King Lear is lost and he and his daughter are prisoners, Gloucester must be wondering about it because then he decides, fuck that. I'd rather die here. I'm not going anywhere. A man may rot even here. And Edgar's like, no, come on. We're not going back to that, are we? And he has this wonderful line. Men must endure their going hence, even as they're coming hither. We don't have control over our birth or our death. We just have to wait for it. Like fruit waits to fall when it is ripe. Ripeness is all. That's an echo of a line in Hamlet as well. The readiness is all, Hamlet says. We just have to recognize the right moment when it comes along. All right, so I leave you with all of our characters on the field of battle, resolution to come. Thank you so much for putting up with me and all my crazy voices, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we will see you next time for the wrap-up, the conclusion of King Lear. Ciao, ciao! For additional fun shit from Fuck Shakespeare, you can head to our website at fckshakespeare.com. Or find us on Instagram at fckshakespeare. If you are enjoying this podcast, you could support us for as little as 99 cents per month. Just click the support button on the page on Spotify or Anchor. Tell your friends. 